Innocent at Large by Paul Anderson and Karen Anderson Part 1 The visiphone chimed when Perry had just gotten into her dinner gown. She peeled it off again and slipped on a casual bathrobe, a wisp of translucence which had set the president of Antarctic Enterprise, or had it been the chairman of the board, back several thousand dollars. Then she pulled a lock of lion-colored hair down over one eye, checked with a mirror, rumpled it a tiny bit more, and wrapped the robe loosely on top and tight around the hips. After all, some of the men who knew her private number were important. She undulated to the phone and pressed its accept. Hello there, she said automatically. So sorry to keep you waiting. I was just taking a bath. And, oh, it's you. Gus Duran's prawn-like eyes popped at her. Holy success, he whispered in awe. You sure the wires can carry that much voltage? Well, hurry up with whatever it is, snapped Perry. I got a date tonight. I'll say you do. With a Martian. Perry narrowed her silver-blue gaze and looked icily at him. You must have heard wrong, Gus. He's the heir apparent of Indonesia, Inc. That's who, and if you called up to ask for a piece of him, you can just blank right out again. I saw him first. Duran's thin, sharp face grinned. You break that date, Perry. Put it off or something. I got this Martian for you, see? So? Since when has all Mars had as much spending money as one big-time marijuana rancher? Not to mention the Arab... Oh, sure, sure. But how much are those boys going to spend on any girl? Even a high-level type like you. Listen, I need you just for tonight, see? This Martian is strictly from gone. He is here on official business, but he is a yokel, and I do mean hayseed. Like he asked me what the Christmas decorations in all the stores were, and here is the solar nexus of it, Perry, kid. Duran leaned forward as if to climb out of the screen. He's got a hundred million dollars expense money, and they're not going to audit his account at home. One hundred million good green certificates, legal tender anywhere in the United Protectorates, and he has about as much backbone as a piece of steak alga. Kid, if I did not happen to have experience otherwise with a small nephew, I would say this would be like taking candy from a baby. Perry's peaches and cream countenance began to resemble... Peaches and cream left overnight on Pluto. Badger? she asked. Sure, you and Sam went handle the routine. I'll take the go-between angle, so he'll think of me as still his friend, because I have other plans for him, too. But if we can't shake a million out of him for this one night's work, there is something a kilter, and your share of a million is three hundred thirty-three, is five hundred thousand flat, said Perry. Too bad I just got an awful headache and can't see Mr. Sastro tonight. Where are you at, Gus? The gravity was not as hard to take as Peter Matheny had expected. Three generations on Mars might lengthen the legs and expand the chest a trifle, but the genes had come from Earth, and the organism readjusts. What set him gasping was the air. It weighed like a ton of wool and had apparently sopped up half the Atlantic Ocean. Ears trained to listen through the Martian atmosphere shuddered from the racket conducted by Earth. The passport official seemed to bellow at him. Pardon me for asking this. United Protectors will come out of this dwarf, and I assure you, sir, an ordinary five-year visa for folks, no questions. But since you came on an official courier boat for your planet, Mr. Matheny, regulations forced me to ask your business. While recruiting, the official patted his comfortable stomach, iridescent and neolan, and chuckled patronizingly. 
I'm afraid, sir, you won't find many people who wish to leave. They wouldn't be able to see the Teamsters out on Mars, would they? Now we don't expect immigration, said Matheny shyly. He was a fairly young man, but small with a dark, thatched, snub-nosed, grey-eyed head that seemed too large for his slender body. We learned long ago that no one is interested anymore in giving up even second-class citizenship to Earth to live in the Republic, but we only wanted to hire, I mean a gauge, and an advisor. We're not businessmen. We know our export trade hasn't a chance among all your corporations unless we get some a five-year contract. He heard his words trailing off idiotically and swore at himself. Well, good luck. The official's tone was sceptical. He stamped the passport and handed it back. Then now you're free to travel anywhere in the protectorates. But I would advise you to leave the capital and get into the sticks. Oh, I mean the provinces. I'm sure there must be tolerably competent sales executives in Russia or Congolese Belgium or such regions. Frankly, sir, I do not believe you can attract anyone out of New York. Thanks, said Matheny. But you see, I, we need, uh, oh well, thanks, goodbye. He backed out of the office. A drop shaft deposited him on a walkway. The crowd, a rainbow of men in pajamas and robes, women in neo-sino dresses and gold-leaf hats, swept him against the rail. For a moment, squashed to the wire, he stared a hundred feet down at the river of automobiles. Phobos, he thought wildly, if the barrier gives, I'll be sliced in two by dorsal fin before I hit the pavement. The August twilight wrapped him in heat and stickiness. He could see neither stars nor even moon through the city's blaze. The forest of multicolored towers, cataracting half a mile skyward across more acreage than his eyes reached, was impressive and all that, but he used to stroll out in the rock garden behind his cottage and smoke a pipe in company with Orion, on summer evenings, that is, when the temperature wasn't too far below zero. Why did they tap me for this job? he asked himself in a surge of homesickness. What the hell is the Martian embassy here for? He, Peter Matheny, was no more than a peaceful professor of sociodynamics at Devil's Kettle University. Of course, he had advised his government before now. In fact, the Red Ank Society had been his idea, and still he was at ease only with his books and his chess and his mineral collection, a faculty poker player on Tenth Day Night and an occasional trip to Swindletown. My God, thought Matheny, here I am, one solitary outlander in the greatest commercial empire the human race has ever seen, and I'm supposed to find my planet a conman. He began walking disconsolately, at random. His lizard-skin shirt and black culottes drew glances, but derisive ones. The cut was forty years out of date. He should find himself a hotel, he thought drearily, but he wasn't tired. The spaceport would pneumo his baggage to him whenever he did check in. The few Martians who had been to Earth had gone into ecstasies over the automation which put any service you could name on a twenty-four-hour basis. But it would be a long time before Mars had such machines, if ever. The city roared at him. He fumbled after his pipe. Of course, he told himself. That's why the embassy can't act. I may find it advisable to go outside the law. Please, sir, where can I contact the underworld? He wished gambling were legal on Earth. The constitution of the Martian Republic forbade sumptuary and moral legislation, quite apart from the rambunctious individualism which that document formulated. The article was a practical necessity. Life was bleak enough on the deserts, without being denied the pleasure of trying to bottom-deal some friend who was happily trying to mark the cards. 
Matheny would have found a few spins of roulette soothing. It was always an intellectual challenge to work out the system by which the management operated a wheel, but more he would have been among people he understood. The frightful thing about the Earthman was the way he seemed to exist only in organized masses, a gypsy snake-oil peddler plodding his cytosol wagon across Martian sands just didn't have a prayer against, say, the Grant, Harding, and Adams Public Relations Agency. Matheny puffed smoke and looked around. His feet ached from the weight on them. Where could a man sit down? It was hard to make out any individual sign through all that flimmering neon. His eyes fell on one that was distinguished by relative austerity. The Church of Choice. Enter. Play. Pray. That would do. He took an upward slide ramp through several hundred feet of altitude, stepped past an aurora curtain, and found himself in a marble lobby next to an inspirational newsstand. Ah, brother, welcome, said a red-haired usherette in demure black leotards. The peace that passeth all understanding be with you. The restaurant is right up those stairs. I'm not hungry, stammered Matheny. I just wanted to sit him to your left, sir. The Martian crossed the lobby. His pipe went out in the breeze from an animated angel. Organ music sighed through an open doorway. The series of rooms beyond was dim, gothic, and terminable. Get your chips right here, sir, said the girl in the booth. Hmm, said Matheny. She explained. He bought a few hundred-dollar tokens, dropped a fifty-buck coin down on a slopped marked contributions, and sipped the martini he got back while he strolled around studying the games. He stopped, frowned. Bingo? No, he didn't want to bother learning something new. He decided that the roulette wheels were either honest or too deep for him. He'd have to relax with a crap game instead. He'd been standing at the table for some time, before the rest of the congregation really noticed him. Then it was with awe. The first few passes he had made were unsuccessful. Earth gravity threw him off. But when he got the rhythm of it, he tossed a row of sevens. It was a customary form of challenge on Mars. Here, though, they simply pushed chips toward him. He missed a throw, as anyone would at home, simple courtesy. The next time around, he threw for a seven just to get the feel. He got a seven. The dice had not been substituted on him. I say, he exclaimed. He looked up into eyes and eyes all around the green table. I'm sorry, I guess I don't know your rules. You did all right, brother, said a middle-aged lady with an obviously surgical bodice. Well, I mean, when do we actually start playing? What happened to the cocked dice? The lady drew herself up and jutted an indignant brow at him. So, this is a church. Oh, I see. Excuse me. Ha, ha, ha. Matheny backed out of the crowd, shuddering. He looked around for some place to hide his burning ears. You forgot your chips, pal, said a voice. Oh, thanks. Thanks ever so much. Ah, uh, uh, that, that is... Matheny cursed his knotting tongue. Damn it, just because they're so much more sophisticated than I, we'll have to talk like a leaky boiler. The helpful Earthman was not tall. He was dark and chisel-faced, and sleekly pomaded, dapper in blue pajamas with a red zigzag, a sleigh-bell cloak, and curly-toed slippers. You're from Mars, aren't you? he asked in the friendliest tone Matheny had yet heard. Yes, yes, I am. My name's Peter Matheny. I... I, he stuck out his hand to shake, and chips rolled over the floor. Damn, oh, excuse me, I forgot this was a church. Never mind the chips. No, please, I just want to g g get the hell out of here. Good idea. How about a drink? 
and our bar down shaft, Matheny sighed. A drink is what I need the very most. My name's Duran, Gus Duran. Call me Gus. They walked back to the deaconette's booth, and Matheny cashed what remained of his winnings. I don't want to, I mean, if you're busy to Mr. Duran. Nah, I'm not doing one thing particular. Besides, I've never met a Martian. I'm very interested. There aren't many of us on Earth, agreed Matheny. Just a small embassy staff and an occasional like me. I should think you would do a lot of travelling here. Your mother planet and so on. We can't afford it, said Matheny. Not with gravitation and distance, such voyages are much too expensive for us to make them for pleasure. Not to mention our dolly shortage. As they entered the shaft, he added wistfully, You earth people have that kind of money, at least in your more prosperous brackets. Wouldn't you send a few tourists to us? I always wanted to, said Duran. I would like to see the what they call City of Time, and so on. As a matter of fact, I've given my girl one of those old Martian rings last Ike's birthday, and she was just gazoo about it. A jewel dug out of the City of Time, like made a million years ago, or a extinct race. I tell you, she appreciated me for it. He winked and nudged. Oh, said Matheny. He felt a certain guilt. Of course, Matheny said ritually. I agree with all the archaeologists it's a crime to sell such scientifically priceless artifacts, but what can we do? We must live, and the tourist trade is almost non-existent. Trouble with it is, I hear, Mars is not so comfortable, said Duran. I mean, do not get me wrong, I don't want to insult you or anything, but people come back saying you have given the planet just barely enough air to keep a man alive, and there are no cities, just little towns and villages and ranches out in the bush. I mean, you're being pioneers and making a new nation and all that, but people paying half a megabuck for their tickets expect some comfort, and, you know. I do know, said Matheny, but we're poor. A handful of people trying to make a world of dust and sands and scrubathon into fields and woods and seas. We can't do it without substantial help from Earth, equipment and supplies, which can only be paid for in Earth dollars, and we can't export enough to Earth to earn those dollars. By that time they were entering the Paul Bunyan Nutty Pine Bar and Grill on the 73rd level. Athene's jaw clanked down. What's the matter? asked Duran. Ain't you ever seen an ectisiastic technician before? Uh, yes, but, well, not in a 3D image under ten magnifications. Athene followed Duran past a sign, announcing that this show was for purely artistic purposes, into a booth. There a soundproof curtain reduced the noise level enough they could talk in normal voices. Well, you have, asked Duran. It's on me. Oh, I couldn't let you. I mean, nonsense. Welcome to Earth. Care for a thaw on vermouth? Matheny shouted. Good lord, no. Uh-huh. But they make thaw right on Mars, don't they? Yes, and it all goes to Earth and sells two thousand dollars a fifth. But you don't think we'd drink it, do you? I mean, well, I imagine it doesn't absolutely ruin vermouth, but we don't see those Earthside commercials about how sophisticated people like it so much. Well, I'll be a socialist creeper, Duran's face split into a grin. You know, all my life I've hated the stuff and never dared admit it, he raised a hand. Don't worry, I won't blabbo, but I'm wondering if you control the thylen industry and sell all those relics at fancy prices, why'd you call yourselves poor? Because we are, said Matheny. By the time the shipping costs have been paid on a bottle, and the earth wholesaler and jobber and sales engineer and so on, down to the retailer have taken their percentage, and the advertising agency has been paid, and about fifty separate earth taxes, there's very little profit going back to the distillery on Mars. The same principle is what's strangling us on everything. Old Martian artifacts aren't really rare, for instance, but freight charges and the middleman have put them out of the mass market. 
Have you not got some other business? Well, we do sell a lot of colour slides, postcards, baggage labels and so on to people who like to act cosmopolitan, and I understand our travel posters are quite popular as wall decoration, but all that has been printed on earth, and the printer and distributor keep most of the money. We sold some books and show tapes, of course, but only one has been really successful. I was a slave girl on Mars. Our most prominent novelist was co-opted to ghostwrite that one. Again, though, local income taxes took most of the money. Authors never have been protected the way a businessman is. We do make a high percentage of profit on those little certificates you see around. You know, the title deeds to one square inch of Mars, but expressed absolutely in dollars. It doesn't amount to much when we start shopping for bulldozers and thermonuclear power plants. How about postage stamps? inquired Duran. For lately is a big business, I have heard. It was our mainstay, admitted Matheny, but it's been overworked. Martian stamps are a drug in the market. What we'd like to operate is a sweepstake, but the anti-gambling laws on Earth forbid that. Duran whistled. I gotta give your people credit for enterprise anyway, he fingered his moustache. Oh, pardon me, but have you tried to, well, attract capital to Earth? Of course, said Matheny bitterly. We offer the most liberal concessions in the solar system. Any little mining company or transport firm or, or anybody who wanted to come and actually invest a few dollars in Mars, why would probably give the president's daughter a security? No, the Minister of Ecology is the better-looking one. But who's interested? We haven't a thing that Earth hasn't got more of. We're only the descendants of a few scientists, a few political malcontents, oddballs who happen to prefer elbow room and a bill of liberties to the incorporated state. What could General Nucleonics hope to get from Mars? I see. Well, what are you having to drink? Beer, said Matheny without hesitation. <laughs> Look, pal, this is on me. The only beer on Mars comes forty million miles, with interplanetary freight charges tacked on, said Matheny. Heineken's. Duran shrugged, dialed the dispenser and fed it coins. This is a real interesting talk, Pete, he said. You are being very frank with me. I like a man that is frank. Matheny shrugged. I haven't told you anything that isn't known to every economist. Of course I haven't. I have not so much as mentioned the Red Ank, for instance, but in principle I have told him the truth, told him of our need, for even the secret operations do not yield us enough. The beer arrived. Matheny engulfed himself in it. Duran sipped at a whiskey sour, and unobtrusively set another frilled bottle in front of the Martian. Ah, said Matheny. Bless you, my friend. A pleasure. But now you must let me buy you one. That is not necessary, after all said Duran, with great tact. But the situations you've been describing... Oh, we're well, not that poor. My expense allowance assumes I will entertain quite a bit. Duran's brows lifted a few minutes of arc. You're here on business, then? Yes, I told you we haven't any tourists. I was sent to hire a business manager for the Martian export trade. What's wrong with your own people? I mean, Pete, it's not your fault there are so many rackets. Uh, taxes and middlemen and agencies and etc. That is just the way it is set up these days. Matheny's finger stabbed in the general direction of Duran's pyjama top. Exactly. And who set it up that way? Earthmen. We Martians are babes in the desert. What chance do we have to earn dollars in the scale we need them, in competition with corporations which could buy and sell our whole planet before breakfast? Why, we couldn't afford three seconds of commercial time on a lullaby pillow cast. What we need, when we have to hire, is an executive who knows Earth, who is an Earthman himself. Let him tell us what will appeal to your people and how to dodge the tax burden, and, well, you see how it goes, a sort of uh, thing. Matheny felt his eloquence running down and grabbed for the second bottle of beer. 
But where do I start? he asked plaintively, for his loneliness smote him anew. I'm just a college professor at home. How would I even get to see? It might be arranged, said Duran in a thoughtful tone. It just might. How much could you pay this fellow? A hundred megabucks a year, if you'll sign a five-year contract. It's Earth years, mind you. I'm sorry to tell you this, Pete, said Duran. But while that is not bad money, it is not what a high-powered sales scientist gets in New York. Plus his retirement benefits, which he would lose if he quit where he is now at. And I am sure he would not want to settle on Mars permanently. I could offer a certain amount of, uh, lanyap, said Matheny. Then as well I can draw up to a hundred megabucks myself of, uh, expenses, and, well, let me buy you a drink. Duran's black eyes frogged at him. You minded that, said the Earthman very softly. Yes, you minded that. Matheny found himself warming. Gus Duran was an authentic barber, a hell of a swell chap. He explained modestly that he was a freelance business consultant, and that it was barely possible that he could arrange some contacts. No, no, no commission, all done in the interest of interplanetary friendship. Well, anyway, let's not talk business now. If you've got to stick to beer, Pete, make it a chaser of acrovite. What is acrovite? Well, I will just take and show you. A hell of a good bloke. He knew some very funny stories, too, and he laughed at Matheny's, though they were probably too rustic for a big city taste like his. What I really want, said Matheny, what I really want, I mean, what Mars really needs, get me, as a confidence man. A what? The best and slickest one on earth. To operate a world-sized con game for us and make us some real money. Con man? Oh, a slipstring. A con by any other name, said Matheny, pouring down an acrovite. Duran squinted through cigarette smoke. You are interesting me strangely, my friend. Say on. No. Matheny realized his head was a bit smoky. The walls of the booth seemed odd somehow. They were just leatheroid walls, but they had an odd quality. No, sorry, Gus, he said. I spoke too much. Okay, forget it. I do not like a man that pries. But look, let's bum out of here. How about it? Go have a little fun. By all means, Matheny disposed of his last beer. I could use some gaiety. We have come to the right town, but let us get to a hotel room first, and some more up-to-date clothes. Allay, said Matheny, if I don't mean alone, or maybe alone. The drop down to cab ramp level, and the short ride afterwards sobered him. The room rate of the Jupiter Astoria sobered him still more. Oh, well, he thought. If I succeed in this job, no one at home. And the chamber to which he and Duran were shown was spectacular enough, the pneumo direct to the bar, and a full-wall transparency to show the vertical incandescence of the towers. Woo! Matheny sat down. The chair slithered sensuously about his contour. He jumped. What the dusty hell? Oh, he tried to grin, but his face burned. I see. This is a sexy type of furniture, all right, agreed Duran. He lowered himself into another chair, cocked his feet on a 3D and waved a cigarette. Which, speaking of, what say we get some girls? It's not too late to catch them at home. A date here will usually start around 2100 hours earliest. What? You know, dames, like a certain blonde warhead with twin radar and swivel mounting, and she just loves exotics, such as you. Me? Matheny heard his voice climb to a schoolboy squeak. Me? Exotic? Why, well, I'm just a little college professor. I... G g g 
His tongue got stuck on his palate. He pulled it loose and moistened uncertain lips. You are from Mars? Okay. So you fought bushcats barehanded in an abandoned canal. What's a bushcat? We don't have canals. The evaporation rate. Let pay, said Duran patiently. You don't have to know that, does she? Well, well, no, I guess not, no. Let's order you some clothes on the Numo, said Duran. I recommend you buy from Schwarzatz. Everybody knows he is expensive. While Matheny jittered about, shaving and showering and struggling with his new raiment, Duran kept him supplied with aquavitan beer. I said one thing, Pete, Duran remarked, about needing a slipstring. A con man, you would call it. Forget that, please. I spoke out of tune. Well, you see, maybe a man like that is just what Miles does need. Maybe I've got a few contacts. What? Matheny gaped out of the bathroom. Duran cupped his hands around a fresh cigarette, not looking at him. I am, I am not that man, he said frankly. But in my line I get a lot of contacts. Not all of them go topside. See what I mean? Like if, say, you wanted somebody terminated and you could pay for it. I couldn't do it. I would not want to know anything about it, but I could tell you a phone number. He shrugged and gave the Martian a sidelong glance. Sure, you may not be interested, but if you are, well... Pete was not born yesterday. I got tolerance. Like the book says, if you want to get ahead, you have got to think positively. Matheny hesitated. If only he hadn't taken that last shot. It made him want to say yes, immediately, without reservations. And therefore, maybe he became over-cautious. They had instructed him on Mars to take chances if he must. I could tell you a thing or two that might give you a better idea, he said slowly but it would have to be under security. Okay, by me. Room service can send us up an oath box right now. Well, but, but... Matheny hung on to himself and tried to believe that he had landed on Earth less than six hours ago. In the end, he did call room service, and the machine was trundled in. Duran swallowed the pill and donned the conditioner helmet without an instant's hesitation. I shall never reveal to any person unauthorized by yourself whatever you may tell me under security now or at any other time, he recited, then cheerfully. And that formula, Pete, happens to be the honest of zebra truth. I know. Athene stared, embarrassed, at the carpet. I'm sorry, sir. sir. I mean, I trust you, but... Forget I take a hundred security oaths a year, my line of work. Maybe I can help you. I like you, Pete. Damn if I don't. I'm sure I might stand to get an agent's cut if I arrange. Go ahead, boy, go ahead. Duran crossed his legs and leaned back. Oh, it's simple enough, said Matheny. It's only that we already are operating con games. On Mars, you mean? Yes, there never were any old Martians. We erected the ruins fifty years ago for the Billingsworth expedition to find. We've been manufacturing relics ever since. Huh? Well, why? But in this case it helps to be at the far end of an interplanetary hall, said Matheny. How many terrestrial archaeologists get to Mars, and they depend on our people to... Well, anyhow... I will be clapped. Good for you. Duran blew up in laughter. There's one thing I would never spill, even without security. I told you about my girlfriend, didn't I? Yes, and that calls to mind the little girl, said Matheny apologetically. She was another official project. Oh? Remember Junior O'Brien... A little golden-haired girl on Mars, a mathematical prodigy, but dying of an incurable disease. She collected Earth coins. Oh, that, sure, I remember. Hey, you didn't. 
Yeah, we made about a billion dollars in that one. I will be double damned. You know, Pete, I sent her a hundred buck piece myself. Say, how is Junie O'Brien? Oh, fine, under a different name. She's now our finance minister. Athene stared out the wall, his hands twisting nervously behind his back. There were no lies involved. She really does have a fatal disease. So do you and I. Every day we grow older. Ah, uh-huh, exclaimed Duran. And then, the Red Ank Society. You must have seen or heard their ads. What mysterious knowledge did the old Martians possess? What was the secret wisdom of the ancient aliens? Now the incredibly powerful semantics of the Red Ank, not a religious organization, is available to a select few. That's our largest dollar-earning enterprise. He would have liked to say it was his suggestion originally, but it would have been too presumptuous. He was talking to an Earthman who had heard everything already. Duran whistled. That's about all so far, confessed Matheny. Perhaps a con is our only hope. I've been wondering maybe we could organize a Martian bucket shop handling Martian securities, but, well, I don't know. I think. Duran removed the helmet and stood up. Yes? Matheny faced around, shivering with his own tension. I may be able to find out the man you want, said Duran. I just may. It'll take a few days and might get a little expensive. You mean, Mr. Duran, Gus, you could actually... I can't promise anything yet, except that I will try. Now you finish dressing. I will be down in the bar, and I will call up this girl I know. We deserve a celebration. 